everyone, this is Sarah from The Journey and welcome to another expert special. Now, this special is a little bit different from the previous ones that we've done. And the reason is because this time we're actually interviewing the CEO of a company we really, really admire. Now, the important thing we really want to stress before we get going is that typically we actually avoid talking about specific companies or specific products despite the fact we get asked quite a lot what our favorite things are. And the reason is, is because we're very, very dedicated to providing unbiased, evidence-based science. And we don't want anyone to think that some of the things we're talking about are, are motivated by financial gain. Now, this company um, we're talking about, not because of financial gain, but it's because this is a company that really, really embodies a lot of the things that we are very passionate about, and that will become clear in the podcast. This company is LV, and they are dedicated to using science and technology to empower women and particularly help on some of the things that many mothers um, really struggle with. Now, I was particularly inspired by this company because when I was breastfeeding, I found it both physically and mentally a huge challenge. Uh, and LV was a bit of a game changer. So actually, we approached LV as a company that we think are doing amazing things for women. Um, and we wanted to sit down with Tanya, who we're also super inspired by, as a very modern uh, working mother of two, and dig into some of the things that she's passionate about, why she started the company, and many, many other things in between, which we'll go through on the podcast. So we really hope you enjoy this. Once again, this is just something we're doing because we're passionate about what this company is doing. So we hope you learn a lot from it. And uh, over to Tanya. Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with such a badass career woman <laughs> as yourself. Um, now, just wanted to kick off with the first couple of questions and understand a little bit from you what was it that first led you to go with the trainer and also the pump? Because, you know, as we've discussed at The Journey, we're pretty passionate about modernising the way that we approach having kids. Um, we're also pretty passionate about being open about what a shock to the system it can be when you first have a baby. So we're quite interested in your personal perspective. Why was it you led with these two things in particular and a little bit about your experience as well? Yeah. Or even start a company in the first place. Yeah. I never actually, um, I never planned to become an entrepreneur. I never planned to work in tech. I had a great, great job. I loved the team I was running at Mary Stokes. I was head of research and innovation. And then probably like yourself and a lot of the listeners, when I went on the journey of becoming a parent, suddenly my whole world completely changed and, and everything is, is, is fundamentally different. You know, I think for me, having been uh, very much focused on my career and um, also generally being quite a control freak, I'd say. But, uh, I can relate <laughs> to that. <laughs> but yeah, being focused on my career and then suddenly getting pregnant and then suddenly all the focus being on the baby. And I think particularly here in the UK and the US, we're so baby centric. So part of me was kind of rebelling against that, that kind of identity crisis, you know, where am I in all of this? And, you know, especially when I had the newborn, it was kind of, I felt quite sort of trapped. And I think like a lot of new mothers felt kind of depressed and anxious during this period. And my husband's French. And so obviously we have a lot of French family. And in France, it's, it's just a bit different. It's a bit more balanced, I'd say. There, French women say, you know, happy mother, happy child. And there's very much a sense that we as women need to look after ourselves first. 
So for me, that really resonated. You know, I was obviously spending a lot of time thinking about what it meant to become a mother. And there's context uh, I'd been working in, in women's health issues, so mostly reproductive health issues, but never to do with, with motherhood, but more on um, access to contraception, access to safe abortion. And then it was when I was pregnant that I first learned about my pelvic floor. And I literally, I didn't know anything about it. I mean, do you, did you know about your pelvic no, floor before? No, you don't. Because yeah. people don't talk about it. It's not something that is even on your radar before you're yeah. pregnant. And it's not even an issue to do with motherhood. All women of all ages, you know, can enjoy the benefits of a stronger pelvic floor and, and should be thinking about it. But obviously most women don't think about it until they're pregnant, until they have a baby. 80% of new mothers start having pelvic floor problems. So for me, coming from a public health area, looking at this issue, it was kind of mind-boggling that it's such a common issue for women of all ages, and there's very simple exercise that can help with this. Um, so for me, it was very much, I suppose, um, hadn't been planning to start up a company, hadn't been planning to go into tech, but really saw a really burning issue in women's health that needed to be responded to. But basically, I had my baby, got through all the, that adjustment, life change of becoming a mum, I went back to my job and I, and I kind of kept thinking about this crazy idea and how I had my head. I remember picking up, uh, I knew nothing about business, I picked up a book with the Financial Times, How to Start Up a Business. I read chapter one and I put it down, I thought, okay, I'm not doing this. <laughs> because it was all you know, important questions like how hard do you want to work, how much money do you need to make? And, and I think like a lot of women who may be often grappling between their careers and motherhood, I thought well, this makes no sense to me. Um, but yeah, I basically just kept thinking about it and kept nagging away. And uh, one day I took the jump and started LV. Wow, that's a pretty cool journey. And it's so nice that it started from your own personal experience. And often that's the most successful things when you see yourself mm -hmm. that there's a major gap and you do something about it. Now, with the pelvic floor and the trainer, so why do you think it is that it's an issue that's not discussed, especially as you say, it's something that can be solved or dealt with relatively easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for those of you who are not familiar on Anatomy 101, the pelvic floor, yeah, it's, a, it's a postural muscle between your low abdominal and your low back muscle, but it wraps around your urethra and your vagina. And the way you exercise it is you need to clench down there, often around your vagina. And uh, basically, even though 51% of the UK population have a vagina, we often... It's just a taboo issue, we don't talk about it. Mm. And that's kind of what grabbed me is, as the kind of injustice around that. Uh, why don't we talk about it? I think for, you know, for many cultural and historical reasons, ultimately a lot of the things that are the core of our femininity uh, are the two sides of the coin in terms of motherhood and sexuality. So I think society grapples around that. And you know, in the past we used to have chastity belts, you know, it's often been mm. about controlling women's power. And similarly, actually, with breasts, you know, the fact that breasts are both sexual and are used for feeding your baby, which is why for our second product, the breast pump, there's also taboo and negativity around that. Um, but obviously, I'm an optimist, I'm an entrepreneur, but, you know, we're seeing change really quickly, uh, especially as part of this whole feminist movement and women are, are talking about things which are normal. Um, so that's a really positive change. And then talking about the breast pump, so the breast pump for me personally is something that really resonated because I myself had terrible problems mm. breastfeeding. Mm. So what was it that you noticed about the existing pumps on the market that you saw as an opportunity and how would you say what you're doing is very different yeah. to, for those people that don't know much about the breast mm -hmm. pump? Yeah, so we launched our first product, which was, uh, people thought we were a bit crazy, 
because not only were we launching a, a product which is kind of a medical device, but we were trying to change the language around that into less about motherhood or sexuality. It was just, this is about womanhood, this is being a woman. But once I'd been in this space, I kind of recognized that all technology products are horrifically and horribly designed for the female consumer, for women. And women have been really shortchanged by health technology. And I think the, the one piece of tech that epitomizes everything that's bad about um, tech for women was the breast pump. I mean, it's just, for those of you who use the old architecture, it's an awful product. And I really think men would never have put up with this if they were using this product. So it's kind of, it's still based on the same technology they used for lactating cows you know, 100 years ago. I relate to that. Yeah. I felt like a cow in a dairy farm it's, most of the time when I was using mine. It's dreadful. There's like this breast shield. There's many, many parts. It's difficult to clean. You've got the pipe. And then you're tethered to this rather large motor that's making the banana. I heard that sound in my sleep for yeah. months afterwards. <laughs> Plugged into the wall as well, because I had to have the hospital grade on. It was just, yeah. Exactly. It's such an awful product. Mm. And, you know, pumping's never going to be uh, the same as, as feeding, but it does offer women choice, right? So in terms of, you know, your question, how did we think about how to innovate? It was actually quite straightforward. It's almost like, a, you know, working with engineers often... When you're innovating, you should just choose one dimension that you're going to improve. So it could have been size, it could have been comfort, it could have been noise. And, and that's kind of the, the best approach uh, according to you know, what, uh, what um, we know from product design. But what we decided to do, which was risky, but was just basically tear up the whole concept of what a breast pump is and start with a blank piece of paper. And we basically innovated in, in every angle. So it's the smartest, it's connected to an app, it can tell how much milk uh, you're tracking. It's the smallest, it's fully integrated. It's so discreet, you basically put it in your bra and it does it for you. It's also completely silent, which is um, you know, a complete game changer. And you can use it one-handed. So there were, it was almost like every dimension we just were like, let's just go for gold in terms of how we can make this the best experience. And the engineers, you know, they did bulk a bit at the beginning. They were like, this is really risky, like to completely change the concept of what a breast pump is. And, and you know, some of them worked at Dyson and they were saying, you know, Dyson, if you reinvented the Hoover and people couldn't even recognize what the Hoover was, that's just, it'd be a commercial disaster. <laughs> but, you know, we thought, you know, women are, are not stupid. You know, you just explain to them, okay, it doesn't look like a breast pump, but if you say to them, look, you put it in your bra, let go, does it for you, mm. I think they're gonna get it. Well, I think that's a really interesting point that you make, that women aren't stupid. And I, I'm, for one, and at the journey, we're a bit tired of women being treated as though mm -hmm. they're stupid and basic. And I often find that, from my own experience, when I was in hospital and I was really struggling with breastfeeding, just for you know the sake of it, I kind of asked people, why is it that I'm breastfeeding? And no one could really tell me an answer other than it's you know a good thing to do. But obviously, you, you are a tech mm -hmm. company, you're pretty science-based. What's your view around breastfeeding and particularly is the benefits of it? Is this one of the other reasons why you are passionate about this particular area? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm passionate about improving health through technology. Mm. So there are clear health benefits for breastfeeding for mothers and children. But your point's absolutely right. Like it's, it's so shocking how once we become mothers, it's almost like we've become open for people's constant judgment on what we decide to do with our own bodies. And I think for me, that's what I'm most passionate about. And I'm very pro, we're all very pro-choice. You know, we all believe women should have the right to choose what they do with their own bodies and their own reproductive health. They have the right to choose whether or not to breastfeed. But you're absolutely right in the sense that so many health professionals seem to say, you know, to be pushing us one way or the other. Um, you know, some of the things midwives said to me when I'm pregnant, you know, I mean, 
It's actually a bit shocking, to be honest. I remember one mother being very concerned that she wouldn't be able to breastfeed. And actually, it wasn't a midwife, it was just a support group. And the support leader said, you must not have any formula, because if you do, it's a thin edge of a wedge. If you get desperate, you can get in a car and drive to Marble Arch. There's a 24-hour pharmacy. You know, there's a sense that we can't be trusted as women to, to do what we think is best for ourselves and our baby. And, and I think that fuels a lot of sense of guilt. You know, if women can't breastfeed or they don't want to, um, that's their choice. But, you know, at LV, we don't push one thing or another, but we're just like, for the women who do want to breast pump, let's just make this really easy. Yeah, and but, I think that's a really key point, is like empowering women to do what they want to do. And that, I think that was one of my issues with when I was breastfeeding, you know, everyone was telling me I should do it, but actually there's, and you have these support groups, which I think masquerade as support, but actually are not supportive. And for me, one of the main reasons I like what you're doing is because for those women that do choose to do it, you are actually providing a genuine support to enable people to do it if that's what they choose to do. And I think that's so lacking actually. So we, we are, supporting breastfeeding and, and giving breast milk to babies but we're not doing it in a in a um in a way that is in any way kind of suggesting that this is the way it has to be done but you know in in the uk more than 80 percent of women regret how early they they stop giving breast milk to their babies and only one in three uh, mothers are still giving breast milk at six months so we've got very low breastfeeding rates so it's about giving women choice and convenience so by giving them the pump it just opens up their options have you had a look at any data to see what happens um, if you give someone an LV breast pump, the rates mm. of allowing it, allowing somebody to yeah. do it longer? Yeah, so, well, we only launched less than a year ago, mm. but we do uh, have data, and it does look like at the moment, I mean, women, it's, it seems like LV pump is changing the way people pump. So in the UK, uh, often, there's very different use cases, so just taking a step back. In the UK, it's often women on their maternity leave, they might be pumping once or twice for lifestyle options, like they maybe want to let their partner feed the baby or they want to have a couple of hours uh, without the baby. Uh, whereas in the US, women are going back to work after six weeks, they're pumping, say, four times a day, they'll be using a double pump, they'll have to go to an expressing station in, in their office, so it's a very different behaviour. But even here in the UK, we are seeing women are, are pumping you know, really high numbers frequency, so literally eight to ten times a day. And we think it's because LV pump is so easy, they're just sort of keeping it in there and just getting on with their daily life. So that, that, would, that would be one of the hypotheses we want to be testing in the future, and I'd be very hopeful that that would be, uh, be shown to be effective. Well, it's funny you say that because um, we just did a podcast with one of the leading pediatricians in the States, Dr. Mona Amin, and she's very passionate about helping women breastfeed and she had exactly the same feedback that you know all the modern changes that are happening are great for women in so many ways you know we have careers we have options but at the same time particularly in the US when you have such short maternity leaves it can be really difficult and some people just unfortunately have to give up because they have such short amounts of time to be off with the baby that practically so this is Phenomenally liberating. Although one, one positive for the US is under Obamacare, so the Affordable Care Act, all women get $200 towards a breast pump. So in fact, oh. that's why more than half of global revenue um, is, in, is in the US. So in fact, access is quite high there. That's actually really cool. I didn't know that. 
So I guess that that's... I'm not sure the NHS will be doing I was just going to say, I'm not sure that's probably going to be on the NHS's radar anytime soon, but we can hope, I suppose. Now, of course, you're all about, as you said, um, you know, empowering women and female health. Mm -hmm. Are there, and, and of course, we at The Journey think as well that this whole area is something that's right for change. Are there any other areas that you can see that you think are opportunities for us as a society to do better at with female health or any other areas you guys are focusing on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think ultimately the tech sector, which I'm now been in for six years, you know, it is very uh, dominated by men. You know, there's an increasing number of women, both on the investment side and the founder side, but it's still very much a minority. And so therefore it's kind of understandable that the that there hasn't been that much tech towards women. I also think the female consumer of tech has been kind of underrated. You know, people have historically thought, well, let's just make it pink or turn it into a piece of jewelry. So in fact, even though it's been neglected, it actually creates a huge opportunity. Um, it is challenging, but basically there's it's kind of a big white open space out there. So I'd say anything to do with womanhood, everything from menstruation to fertility, to contraception, to postnatal menopause, all these different areas, are really important life changes that, that the majority of women go through and where technology has a real potential to, to solve problems quite quickly. So it's a very exciting space and the good news is you know, there's been a few startups over the last couple of years uh, like Maven um, in New York which helps with um, postnatal benefits and Clue in Germany which is more around menstruation tracking. We're all doing different things, focusing on different parts of uh, women's, you know, of womanhood but actually all of us saying the same thing and that's kind of created a real momentum. So there's a real tipping point at the moment, which is, which is very exciting. Now, you obviously talk about, um, you know, the opportunities for women and women's health. And, you know, we all know that modern life has given women so many more opportunities, which is great mm -hmm. in so many ways. But as we've been alluding to in this conversation, there's also quite a lot of anxiety that's still prevalent within, you know, being a mother, it's, you know, a big shock to the system. And then, you know, versus kind of 30, 40 years ago when most women were staying at home. And now, of course, we are trying to juggle our careers and mm -hmm. breastfeed and be a good mom yeah. and be a woman as well. So you're obviously, um, uh, you know, a huge shining light of being able to do this. What, <laughs> How do you do it? So how do you be an entrepreneur, a total badass, and also you've got two kids yourself? So how do you find the balance? Well, you can't. You can't do it all. Um, yeah, I've been talking personally. It's, you know, there's been... Um, well, when I started earlier, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. My co-founder always said, like, one, one thing you see in founders often are quite naive, which I think is a good thing, because I think if you knew how hard it would be... You'd run. You would. You'd give up. Um, but for me, it has, I've never ever pushed myself nearly as hard as I have over the last five years. Um, and and it, it's a good thing to do in life, but you know, there are moments where, where it, does, it does become overwhelming. You know, at points had insomnia. And, but I think the key thing is that you just have to, to look for support. So I went and did cognitive behavior therapy, that helped me with that. And I realized quite quickly that it was quite lonely and so I needed to, to really find a support network as well. We can't do this by ourselves. Yeah, I think that's common with motherhood in general. It can be quite isolating, actually. Yeah, and I think the really key thing is realizing well, there's no one way, right? There's no way. There's not the right way to be a mother to bring up your children. Uh, so it's really important to just not let other people 
um, judgment or opinion matter to you. I think that's really important that you do it your way. And your way really means having to work out what's really important to you and your family and recognising that some of the other things you have to let go of and recognising that that means there will be regrets because there'll be things you're not doing, um, but that's the decision you've had to make. And, um, and then you kind of make peace with that. So for me, for example, yeah, there's Elvie, there's being a mother, I'm also a wife. Um, I've had to make peace with the fact I just don't have a social life. <laughs> but hopefully they'll, my that. friends will forgive me in, the, you know, in a couple of years, maybe they'll be, there'll be time. <laughs> it's funny, yeah, you say about this, sometimes we have to let go of this idea that we can do everything. And I think modern society and maybe things like social media and Instagram project these ideas of perfection which can actually make us feel inadequate no matter what we do and I guess as you say it's kind of letting go of that notion of perfection and just prioritizing yeah the things that are important to you now on that so you, you you're talking for example openly about doing CBT and and obviously you're talking openly about issues that are as we said so pelvic floor and breast pumping which I have been quite contentious. Now, how do you guys actually approach some of these issues and try and normalise the conversation in a practical way? You know, what do you find resonates with people and how do you actually get that message across and how are you trying to get that message across more? I mean, that is, you know, the really go to the heart of it. That's the thing that I care about the most. And it always comes from personal experience. You know, in my family, when I was a kid, there were so many things we didn't talk about. You know, mental illness, my mum dying, so many things. And so growing up, I just felt like, you know, in terms of what the answer is, it's actually very straightforward. You just talk about it. The more you talk about these issues, which others might judge you to be vulnerable on or judge you negatively for, but if you are brave and bold and you do that, uh, you'll soon find that actually there's many people out there who are also thinking the same thing. And it, and it can create quite quickly a lot of change. So for us, you know, pelvic floor was something that's very yucky. Nobody wanted to talk about it. I mean, we did sort of strategically think about how can we shift this into something a bit more positive, something that women would want to embrace more. So change the language from bladder incontinence and prolapse to kind of inner strength, being a woman. And, and that really resonated. And now we're going bolder still, kind of quite openly now talking about bladder problems because the reality is women, one in three women are having bladder problems. So we do need to be able to talk about it. Otherwise women won't, won't look for help. Do you think that as people are becoming more aware of these issues, they are starting to realise the greater need? So it's, it becomes like a bit of a virtuous circle because if you didn't realise that so many people were having these issues, then you would never even go down the street. So yeah. being open, this creates yeah. more openness. Absolutely. I mean, like mental, uh, mental health is such an important issue too. And even having, you know, Prince William and Prince Harry talking about the impacts of their mother's death. I think when you have um, influences talking openly about things, it can make a really big change. So for us, for pelvic floor, you know, at the beginning we had investors saying, you will never get a celebrity to talk about these issues. Uh, we launched Gwyneth Paltrow on Goop, we sold out within a few hours, and that just created a lot of momentum. Now on that, we were talking earlier, before this podcast started, about you know awareness around things like the gut microbiome mm -hmm. and science. And obviously that is something that is quite heavily linked to breastfeeding, for example. Mm -hmm. So when a baby's first born, its own microbiome is populated by the method of birth, breastfeeding, and obviously the, the microbiome of the mother. So is this something, so this kind of new science, is this something you guys think about when you think about the pump? Like what's your own personal view on all this kind of thing? Um, 
I mean, in my previous career, I was working more on the research side. We're not a research organization now. So really our focus is, is just very much, as I said, on, on solving the problems that women are facing, how to make breast pumping easier for women. But do you mean what's my opinion on... Yeah, um, what, do you, what do you think on the whole gut microbiome and, you know, your part of technology mm-hmm. and science? And yeah. do you have any strong view on this? I don't have a strong view. I mean, I am an evidence-based person, so I haven't yeah. looked at some of the research. I haven't seen large randomized controlled trials on yeah, some of this. It's very thing. difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them have been observational studies. But, you know, what I do find generally um, is more and more is some of these areas around women's wisdom or ancient traditions, which we think are not scientific, you know, often there is something in there, uh, but we, we will need better clinical trials, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, some, t- some of the things where we've changed it over time, we've kind of realising that actually going back to nature yeah. is, nature yeah. is there for a reason. Now, coming back onto breastfeeding as well, and obviously as a mother yourself and working with a product that is so innovative, do you have any tips and tricks for the people out there as to how, aside from using the LV pump, or how you, what you've picked up about how to make breastfeeding a little bit easier on a person? How did you find it? I found breastfeeding really, really hard until I tried the LV pump, obviously. <laughs> um, I personally just found things like being stressed obviously mm-hmm. wasn't ideal, which is why yeah. I'm, we're also really interested in the whole mental health aspect yeah. and you know, helping women feel a little bit less isolated. Then basic things like eating and drinking enough that you yeah. perhaps don't even think about. So I think what we're trying to do as well is just do something similar to what you're doing, which is open the debate and make sure that people know that it's not abnormal to find it difficult. Because I think that it's one of these things that we can, as women, can feel quite guilty about because it's supposed to be natural. But actually, yeah. I found it really difficult. So again, it's like opening up this discussion um, and trying to be open about that, really. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, even 50 years ago, it used to becoming a mother was so different because we lived more in extended family networks. We'd have our mothers and our aunts sort of passing on their knowledge. Yeah. And often now we're quite isolated and lonely. And so then we end up sort of reading more, you know, learning about it in a more abstract sense. So I think particularly with breastfeeding, you know, some of the guidelines are 17 steps. It kind of overcomplicates this thing, right? And you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I personally had a similar thing where I was just constantly so stressed about it and then that in itself creates a, a vicious cycle. And I think you're absolutely right, if, if women are struggling, obviously then they want to breastfeed, there's support that they should seek out, and if they can't, then, then not feel guilty about it. Now, coming back to the trainer as well, so the pelvic floor is something obviously we tend to be conscious of and deal with after the fact. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something to be said for getting ahead of it? So say before you have a baby, strengthening it? Because I think again, as we kind of learn a little bit more about our bodies, we and more about prevention yeah. rather than dealing with yeah. situations once they've arise, it's becoming more apparent that actually the more ahead of it you can get, the better. Would you say that's the case with pelvic floor, for example? Absolutely. I mean, I think less than half of our women using our trainer are mothers or have had children. Oh, um, so we have three main groups, a lot of women in their 20s, uh, and then new mothers, and then postmenopause women too. So women who are having problems, it's not just having children, it's also if you do a lot of impact sports. So every time you, for example, when you go running, you know, three times the amount of pressure shooting up your leg, up to your pelvic floor. So runners, tennis players, women who do CrossFit often have a lot of pelvic floor problems. But I think the key thing is, you know, we've looked at this a lot, you're absolutely right, women should be thinking about prevention, they should be thinking about getting ahead, but nobody ever does. You know, you don't really think about changing your behaviour, doing something for some 
potential goal, pre potential prevention of something yucky in 20 years time. It just doesn't work. So we've really tried to flip it and just turn it into something much more positive and fun. So for women uh, who are not thinking about motherhood or anything, you know, there are sex benefits as well. And sometimes people struggle like, oh, is this a sex toy? Is this a health device? Why are women using it? Um, but I'm like, well, if women are using it for sex benefits and they have inadvertently got health benefits, then that's, Great. that's a win-win from my <laughs> point of view. So it's about trying to work out what, what's going to motivate women. And I think the key thing is also just what we've really tried hard to do is make sure that the workouts are personalized, that it's fun, that you can kind of have a sense of achievement. Because uh, that's kind of what was missing before. So by making it fun, then women want to do it. Yeah. And finally, as a mother yourself and gone through what you've gone through and also, you know, doing such an innovative thing with, with female health, if you were going to go and give yourself advice, kind of all before this, before you became a mother, knowing what you do, is there anything you'd, give, you'd tell yourself to do differently or any, I guess putting it a different way, what advice would you give for somebody who's about to be a mother or thinking about being a mother? I suppose I look back when I first became a mother and I was just just worrying about everything all the time. Was I doing it right or wrong? And I think it is about taking a deep breath and relaxing a little bit because ultimately parenthood is, is quite a temporary thing in some ways, which is both bittersweet as in the positive, you know, if I tell women who've just had a baby and they're going crazy, like, I oh, was my baby's not sleeping, every time the dummy falls out, they're crying, you know, you, there's moments where you really feel like you can't cope. And it is temporary, you know, your baby at some point will sleep, at some point your baby won't be in nappies. All of that passes quite quickly and within the journey is actually quite a small period of time. So that's the kind of positive, but then the negative is suddenly it does move so quickly, you know, I, I literally woke up this morning with my eight-year-old and I was just cuddling him because he doesn't really want cuddles very often, so I kind of... <laughs> linger on when he lets me and I was like when did you stop being a baby you know it's just it does it goes quickly and there'll be ups and downs and it's a roller coaster and and just to kind of roll with it a little bit enjoy the ride yeah it, there are hard bits and and to talk to people is important and, and just know that it's uh, but I think the key thing as you said is society's expectations of modern mothers are completely unrealistic we can't be everything we can't have a career and have children and bake cakes and all the rest of it and especially when, you know, ultimately we don't have the support networks that, that could be in place, for example, that you have in other countries, you know, more flexible working options, better childcare options. Yeah, that's the thing. We, uh, society kind of wants us to do everything, but without necessarily having the support that's, that's there. Well, thank you so much. It's been so fascinating. And uh, yeah, you're definitely a major inspiration for lots of women <laughs> out there. So I really appreciate your time. And uh, We've got all the links to the trainer and the pump up on the web and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the journey. Pleasure.